0: Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus.
1: Thank you. You baby seated. Thank you. Yeah, so Philippians 3, it's probably, for me at least, right up there with my favorite passages, one I keep going back to. Uh, And the beauty about Scripture is no matter how many times you go back to it, the the deeper and deeper it gets, the more you learn, Uh, and that's been Philippians for me. And so we're going to spend much of our time there, uh, but I do kind of want to start out, um, yeah, with a question. Have you ever had a life-changing experience, a life-altering experience and what I mean by that is an event in your life that changed some aspect of your life. And again, I'm not trying to get too deep here. So here's my example. Uh, I can remember the first time I had a steak that was cooked medium rare. <laughs> and that has forever changed the way I eat steak. I used to be, a you know, maybe a medium guy, maybe a medium well. Uh, but when I had my first medium rare, I'm like, I'm I'm a changed man. I'll never go back. And so now it's like, you know, I'll never go rare, but, you know, I, I kind of get close to that. But that was a life-changing event. I, I remember, and this is depending on, I know a lot of you guys are in technology and, uh, and you work with computers, but, you know, I remember my first time I got a MacBook computer. I always, you know, had PCs and Dells and, and all those kind of things. And my first MacBook, I remember getting on that the very first day and saying to myself, I will never go back. This is the most beautiful machine in the world you know i can remember uh as a 16 year old my dad handing me the keys to a truck you know it was a 1988 f-150 351 4x4 uh and i'm not sure why he did but he says here here you go (laughs) not the smartest thing but driving a truck i remember like me before that driving the station wagon or driving a car the first time i drove a truck i was like man I'm always going to have a truck. Like I like being up high. I like being big. I like to be able to haul stuff. And so I've always had trucks. So there's a you know a few small things, you know, that happened in my life that I look back a lot. There's a lot I'm sure, man, deeper things and, and bigger things. But there are things in life that happen that change you forever. And and one of the things I've I'm I've been reading through scripture. I'm seeing more and more is that the writers of Scripture, they speak of God, they talk about God in that fashion, in that light. And so today, this morning, that's what I I just want to read some Scripture. And I want to see what the writers are saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, and see what it has for us. And, And what I found is this, and I really believe this, that the writers write about God in a way. Oh, man, that may be kind of foreign to the church today, uh, and, and I'm seeing this kind of throughout. So I want to start uh, by looking at Matthew 13, 44. Again, we'll mainly be in Philippians today, uh, but there are a couple of passages I want to look at beforehand. So Matthew 13, 44, uh, this is a parable of Jesus. And so Jesus would write parables. He would write stories to communicate great truths uh, and I love this parable because this is one of his, yeah, it's probably the shortest one, but it, man, it's it's powerful. And he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Like That's, that's it. That's the parable. And, and right away you have some questions, like, was this man trespassing? Like, what was he doing? How did he find this? There's a lot of questions there, but that's not the point, all right? Uh, The the point here is that he found something that had tremendous value. It was extremely valuable. And so I want to go back, just look at this, the, the kingdom of heaven. That's a phrase you'll see, and we don't have time today to kind of spend a lot of time here, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is something that you see a theme throughout Scripture, uh, in the book of Matthew of Lone, that the idea of the kingdom is mentioned over 50 times. That was Jesus' favorite phrase. So what is the kingdom of heaven? So when we think about kingdom, we think about a place. Uh, and, you know, uh, man, so maybe Camelot, or you think about a certain location. You think about a castle. You think about, you know, a country. So when we hear the word kingdom, we think those things in this time In this place and this culture, kingdom was not a noun, it was a verb, it was an action. So when you see a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of, of, of God, that was an action word, it was not a noun, and the idea really is this, it's the reign of heaven, it's the rule of God. So in a sense, when you see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the idea is this is the arrival of God's reign, to rescue what has been lost. And that's a beautiful picture in the Gospels because it says the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is at hand. You'll see that a lot and you'll repent for the kingdom is at hand. The idea is God's kingdom is coming to set right what has been wrecked, to get back what has been lost. Uh, one scholar said that the kingdom of heaven, that's a summary of the entire message of Jesus. And so, what Jesus says about life, his rule, his reign, his ways, his message, uh, his rescue, the gospel, all those things are on the, uh, under the umbrella of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It is his salvation that is coming. So, here's the picture. Here's the picture of this man who's in this field. And I love how, how simple it is. And he finds a treasure. And he says he finds it and he buries it. He puts it under the ground. And then in his joy, this is, this is a key point, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field so he can get the treasure. So for me, you know, we've, um, we've been sending out yeah, e- emails and, and, and newsletters and, and I think probably most of you guys know, but we will be moving back this summer We've been out on the reservation for five years. um, And it is something that we, you know, both my wife and I did not see coming. And we, man, definitely feel it's something that God is leading in. And so, on a side note, you can be praying for that because uh, I've always, when I've left something, I always knew what I was going to. And now I'm like, (laughs) I'm not sure. What's there, but I know he is leading us to rest and to recover and to be still and to listen and to wait. And I'm excited for what's next. So I say that because I've been packing like crazy. And if I asked you, you know, who in this room loves to move, I'm sure I would not see. I I cannot stand to move. Uh, We didn't move at all when I was a kid, and I've moved a couple times as I've gotten older. Uh, So my wife has been subbing. Uh, out in Page, and as she subs, I'm at home just packing. So in our living room, it's just full of boxes. Uh, and so some of the things are packed in boxes like this. Some of we have, you know, cardboard boxes. So when I read this picture, I've got boxes on the mind. That, that's what I'm thinking about. I see this man who has his entire life, and I'm not going to show you. This doesn't really matter what's in here. But he's carrying around this box. And in this box, just like the boxes I have at home, this is the entire life. What's important, what's value, you know, who he is. Every his life is in here. In a sense, you could say his kingdom is in here. You know, one, one guy I read says you're either gonna live for one or two kingdoms. You will build your own kingdom. You will live for what matters to you, what's important to you, what you think is right, what you think is valuable, or you will live under God's kingdom. We all live in a kingdom. So for this man, I think, man, he had his kingdom. Here's my life. Here's what I live for. Here's here's what my life's about. And he's walking in this field, and he sees a treasure. He sees something that blows him away. And he looks at his life and says, man, my life pales in comparison to this. This is something that has so much more value. And what it says is this, and and I love this, then in his joy... He goes and he sells everything he has. He gets rid of everything. Now, if I were to ask you right now, would you be willing to do that? Would you go and sell all your houses, all your, you know, all your houses, your house, all your cars? Maybe you have lots of houses. Would you be willing to sell everything for something greater? And That would be difficult to do. Because in that we have comfort, we have security, we have everything that we need. But he sees something that's so great, he says, man, this is my joy. And he sells everything to get that treasure, to get that one thing. So I want to stop here and I want to ask this because here Jesus is giving a parable of what it's like to know him. And when I read that, when I have read that, my question to myself is Is that my perspective? In my Christian life, has that what it's been? And, and I look back at the, you know, whatever, 20, 25 more, more plus years that I've been a Christian, it's not always been that. I've never, you know, sometimes I didn't see God as that treasure. Maybe I saw him as one to appease or one to please or one to perform for or one who is looking down, making sure I'm doing the right thing. But this right here, this is different. He says, man, no, I have found something that supersedes and is more valuable and more important than anything I could ever imagine. I will give up everything to have this, to to take hold of this. So think about where you're at and you're walking. As you're following Jesus, do we see Jesus in that light? The writers of Scripture do. So I want to move on to Philippians. Philippians 3. Uh, I love this passage. I mean, probably Philippians 2 and 3. If you haven't read these, I would encourage you to go back and read these. Actually, read the entire book. It's only four chapters. But Philippians 3, chapter 7. I want to, sorry, chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And we're going to just read kind of portions of this and talk about it a little bit. But Paul starts out, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And so here's Paul as we'll see, essentially saying the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew 13. But he starts out and he says, man, but whatever gain I had. So the question is, okay, what kind of gains were, was he talking about? What things did he have that he, he considered to be valuable and important? Uh, and you don't have to turn there. If you're already there, you can look there. But I do want to go back. I just want to read some things. It's not going to be on your screen, but just listen carefully. So Paul, if you go back to uh, Philippians 3, chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he starts out, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And verse 2, he says, look out for the what? The dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So We're jumping right into something pretty heavy. He's right into the Philippian church, and he says there's people that you need to be careful of. There are people who wish in some way to harm you. And he's speaking of the group known as the Judaizers. And what they taught and what they believed is that you can be, and again, we're not going to get too deep, but I'll just give you the main idea, that you can be close with God based on who you are, what you do, what you do, your actions. The more you identify with the Jewish faith, the closer you are with God. And so the gospel came into Philippi. The gospel was changing people's lives. The Judaizers came and said, well, you can't do this. It's more than that. You also have to do these things. You also got to perform these ceremonies. You also have to do... Uh, you know, the ritual of circumcision, to be close with God. So, so that's what he's speaking. He, he calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. Be careful because, man, they are teaching, they are preaching a different gospel. Gospel, And it says they worship, all right, by the Spirit of God. Sorry. He says who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and they we put no confidence in the flesh. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying here, he says, be careful of these people, Because they put confidence in their flesh. Again, they think by what they do, by who they are, by their ethnicity, they can be closer to God. And Paul says, be careful, because we don't do that. We don't put confidence in our flesh. And he goes on in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also... doesn't make a lot of sense. He's bragging about being circumcised on the eighth day. All right, but in his time, in his place, in his culture, where he's at, that was the checklist. You know, what does it mean to be close to God? These things. And Paul says, man, I had every box checked. I was of the right people. I knew my tribe. I was circumcised on the right day. Of all the Hebrews, I was a Hebrew. I was at the top of the, <laughs> top of the list. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I was obedient to the law. To the point, he says, man, I was blameless. Now, we know he wasn't fully blameless, okay, because he says it in Romans 7. He says, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm far from that. What does that mean? To those who saw my life, there's nothing they could say where they saw sin in my life. To the observer, I was blameless. I was faithful in what I believed. I was faithful in living in and out. I checked all the boxes. So so again, he's addressing this group that's saying to live this way to be close to God. And Paul says, I lived that way. I did those things. I performed those things, and I was far from him. And then we get to verse seven. This is where I want to spend most of our time, 7 to 14. But whatever gain I had, he says what? I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Think about that phrase. Whatever gain I had, whatever thing I was prideful in, whatever confidence I had, my achievements, my accomplishments, my victories, all those things that I held up, man, I counted those as loss for the sake of Christ. So he's looking back. It's a past word. Now, he goes on, he says this. Not only does he look back and say at verse 8, he says, indeed, I count what? Everything. So now we're getting to the present life, and we're going beyond just what he's looking at, you know, those five or six things. He says, I count everything in my life, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What does he say, man? He says this. Here's my life. Here's all my accomplishments. Here's all my victories. Here's all my degrees. Here's all all my awards. Here's Here's everything great about my life, he says. And I count that as a loss because I found something greater I was in the field, and I found the treasure of all treasures. And what was my response? To see everything else as a loss. And I just want to say this real quick, because I I want to make sure you get me. I'm not saying degrees, all right, and achievements, and victories, and promotions. I'm not saying those things are, get what he's saying. He says, compared to this. That's a loss. And we'll, we'll talk more about that here in a minute. But he looks at his life and he sees everything I once thought was valuable and important uh, and of extreme importance. He says, man, that's a loss compared to knowing Christ, and I give it all up. For his sake, and man, this is, this is cool to me. He goes on, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. So you, you read that, and it's like, okay. There's some pain here, and there is some difficulty in that, all right? But he goes on. I've suffered the loss of all things, he says, that I may, what, gain something, that I may gain Christ, I may gain something better. So he's using that word suffer, and you think, yeah, how painful that is. But you've got to remember, he's getting something much more valuable. Uh, one of the guys I read, I'm going to throw it up here because it was kind of lengthy, But that's a great quote. This is uh, from a commentary that I read. And he says this, the call to discipleship. So God is calling you to walk with him, to follow him, to be a disciple, to be a follower. It says involves a cost of discipleship. So to God's call, there is a cost. And when you look at scripture, you see that fishermen left their boats. So when you read the Gospels, one of the first things that happened that Jesus walks up to the fishermen and says, hey, come follow me. And it says they left their boats, they left left everything to follow him. A tax collector must leave his table. Peter left his false conception of the Messiah. Another disciple will have to leave a bystander security to literally take up Jesus is crossed, and we can go on and on. That the woman caught in adultery was called to what leave her lifestyle. The rich young ruler was called to what leave his riches, and he would refuse to. The call to follow Jesus does not constitute an additional obligation in life. Get this: it's not one more thing. It's not here's my life. Okay, <laughs> let me add Jesus. Like, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. There are things that we will put down. There are things that we will leave. He says it's not an obligation, but it rather judges, replaces, and subordinates all obligations and allegiances. So, as a follower of Jesus, there are things we will lay down, and it will be different for all of us, and it will be good. all of us because it's not just leaving it's not just putting down it's not just walking away which for my life much of my life that wasn't look what i'm giving up and i'm going to be honest with you like when we went out to arizona like we literally left everything and it's easy to focus on that but what the writers of scripture are saying is yes you leave but do you see what you get do you see what you're walking towards It's way more valuable than anything you could ever have in your life. Keep your eyes on that. Look to that. That's what the writers of Scripture are saying. That's what they are experiencing. And so Paul says the exact same thing to the point, and I love this, I've suffered the loss of what? All things. All right, now he still had things, but the idea is, is I no longer put confidence in these things. I used to put my confidence in my education all right, I put my confidence in who I was as, as a Jewish man, as a, as a leader, as a teacher. I put confidence in my identity, but I no longer do that. Those are things that are a law. I put my confidence in Jesus, and he says this, I count them as what? <laughs> Rubbish. And, and, and you guys know, uh, this, is, this can be a pretty vulgar word. All right, so one of the translations it could be is I count this as dung, Okay, it is, it is crap. The best things in my life are a pile of dung. Okay, so you know, where we live at in Arizona, there's piles of dung. <laughs> I'm not trying to be gross. Everywhere, because we have cattle and we have horses and we have stray dogs. And so as you're walking, you will just see. And Paul is literally saying the best parts of my life when I was before Christ, that is what it is now compared to what I have. He says, I see it as rubbish in order that I may gain something more, gain something better, and I want to be found in him. When you see Jesus, I want you to see me. I want my life to look like his. So God is calling you to him. God is calling you to follow him. Keep in mind, he is the greatest treasure. So, yes, he will call you to put things down, to leave things. But remember that you are moving, that you are heading to something so much greater. And he goes on in verse 9. And he says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I want to stop right, this this right here is the gospel, the gospel message. So there are people he is addressing and says, man, you can be righteous by the law. Here's what God says, if you do these things, man, that you will be right with God. God will look down and say, man, you are doing a great job. Look at all the commandments you were keeping. So there are people that believed. That's how you're right with God, by following his law, by being obedient. Here's the problem. Here's the, the, the whole scripture, the story. It doesn't work. And you'll be the first to say, you know what, it's true. I, I try to be obedient, and I try to be faithful, man, but there's something within me. And Paul says in Romans 7, man, that there's, there's something within me. That's fighting against me. I find myself doing things and thinking things and saying things that God says I shouldn't say, do, and think. There's a war in me. So we can't be righteous by our obedience. So he says here, I don't want a righteousness. I don't want to be right with God based on my own merit. Because if I am, if I do, if I try to be, if we try to be, man, we will fail miserably. There's a common belief, and I'm not sure if I've ever heard anyone say it. Usually it's somebody else saying that they've heard it said, but I'm sure it's this idea that, you know, when we get before God, that God's going to have this giant scale, and he's going to weigh your good deeds, and he's going to weigh your bad deeds. And if your good deeds, you know, outweigh your bad deeds, you get to come in. But if it's the opposite, you don't. And that's not the way it works. I mean, Scripture says that we are dead, that we are blind, that we are lost, that we have no hope apart from Jesus. So what does Paul say? I don't want to try to be right with God on my own merit, but instead I I want the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And he's saying that I've moved from where I was. I used to stand on my two feet and say, man, look at me. I've got it all together. And I'm no longer there instead. You know what? I want to have the righteousness that God says it depends on what Jesus did already. What Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection, that's where I want my righteousness to come. And, just, and I want to read this to you, Romans 5, 6 through 11. Again, just listen this mean this right here is the gospel. He says this, Paul says same guy that wrote Philippians also wrote Romans. He says this, for a while we were still weak. All right. Speaking of us, while you were still weak at the right time Christ died for you. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, for a good person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. All right, please get this. But God shows his love for you, and that while you were still a sinner, while you were still far from him, Christ died for you. Christ died for me. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, what does that mean? That we have been made right by his death. That I've been made right. I have peace with God because he died in my place. He says, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So what is he saying here? He says, man, if God loves you when you were an enemy, <laughs> all right, don't you think he's going to carry it through? And that's the thing, I, you know, for me, I always say when I'm, when I'm preaching, or a lot of times people, I get tired of hearing it, but when I'm up here, like I'm not one up here that I have my act together. I am not preaching at you saying, hey, this is what like I'm with you. And we 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 all need grace, we all need mercy, we all need forgiveness, we all need Jesus. And so my hope is for me to point all of us to him. And he says here to me, to Bill, if God loved you while you were an enemy, you did not stand on your own two feet. You were not faithful. You were far from him, and God says, I love you now. Even when you're at your worst, I love you in this moment. And then Paul says in Romans 3, 9, that's the kind of righteousness I want from God. I want to be right with him based on what Jesus did for me. He loved me at my worst. He saved me. He rescued me when I was at my worst. And he is doing things in my life and making me more like him. That's what he wants in his life. And in this room right now, man, if you spend your life trying to prove your righteousness, man, you will go to your grave not proven it. It's it's a a hamster on a hamster wheel. It can't be done, and I've seen people try to do that. But what what Paul says here is this: I'm placing my life, my faith, everything in what Jesus has done for me, because that was that's what makes me righteous in Him. And then and then Philippians three ten. Here's kind of where it comes down to the climax. All right, this right here is 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 what he's getting to, and I love this passage. And he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And when I read that, my first thought is, hey, Paul, do you know who you are? How do you not know Jesus? You met him on the road to Damascus. You spent 14 years studying scriptures. Like you, if anyone knows him, you know him. I mean, you wrote over half of the New Testament. So as you read the New Testament, half of the books are written by Paul. And here he says, if you you want to know what I want in my life, more than anything, I've left everything for this one thing, he says, is I want to know Jesus. I think it's pretty cool. I didn't talk to Adam this morning about what I was preaching on. That last song we sang was what I want to know you. And the lyrics of the song is this. I want to know you, Jesus my Lord, King of Heavens, King of my soul. I trade my treasure and all my rewards Jesus to know you and then to know you more. That's Philippians 3. Like that, that's what he's saying. I give up everything that I may know you. So here, this idea of knowing is not just intellectual. All right, Paul knew his doctrine. Like Paul knew his theology, all right? So you know I've got, maybe you do too, you've got tons of commentaries. So we write commentaries on what Paul wrote. So he, he through the inspiration of spirit, he, he's the main source. And here he's saying, I don't know him fully yet. I want to know him more. Not, not just, again, not just knowing him intellectually, but knowing him emotionally, knowing him deeply. You know, the, the closest I can think of is, you know, the closest relationship I have is my wife. And so we've been married 20 years, and I am still getting to know her. There are still some things that I am learning, and I want to know her more. And Paul is saying that about Jesus. And not just, but I, I want to experience, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Think about that. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Paul says, I want to know that. You know, I share this with our church in Arizona. Uh, and this is pretty convicting to me because it's like, man, okay, why aren't we seeing this? You know, we got our theology right, we got our doctrine right, we're doing all these things, but is there any power here? Do we want to see this power that Paul is talking about? And Paul is saying, man, this is what I, I want to know this. I want to experience this. I want to see this. And he doesn't stop there. He says, and I also want to share in his sufferings, which we don't really like, the idea of knowing God sounds good, knowing Jesus sounds good, you know, seeing his work in, in the lives of people and the lives of, in, in the building of churches, that sounds good. But here he says, no, I want it all. I want to share in his sufferings. The things that he faced, I want to face. The things that he went through, I want to go through. I want to become like him in his, his death. That's our desire. That's my desire. And what Paul is doing is saying, man, this is my ultimate pursuit. This is my ultimate desire. This is our, my ultimate goal. And the question I have for myself, and I'll ask for you, is that our ultimate pursuit? Is that my ultimate goal? Because it should be. If I'm a follower of Jesus and I found this tremendous treasure, I found something that nothing else compares to my ultimate desire and pursuit and goal should be to get to know Jesus as much as I can. And you're going to pursue other things, I get that. But that should be the ultimate thing. To know him, to experience him, and to become like him. For us as a Christian, you know, for us as a body of believers, for us as a church, like this should be number one on the list. When I wake up tomorrow, what should be my goal? Jesus, I want to know you, not just about you. But I, I really, I, I want to know you. I want to know your heart. I want to know your ways. I love how David says it in Psalm 25. He says, he prays, he says, make me to know your ways, O God. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. And what is David saying? He says, God, I want you to make this Happen. Make it happen. Lead me and take me. That should be our desire. Now, when I read that, and, and, when, and I'm to be personal, when I, I, I get discouraged by that because I look at my life. And I'm not there as much as I should be. I'm not going to give you a percentage because it's probably embarrassing. But I can be so distracted by other things that this cannot, sometimes is not even a thought in my mind. I want to be like that man that finds that treasure, that, man, this is the best thing in the world, forget everything else. But sometimes those things get me. I want to be like Paul who says, man, look at my resume, look at my accomplishments, look at all these things I've done. compared to Jesus, man, this is a big pile of dung." And I have a hard time staying there. And that's, man, here's where your encouragement is. <laughs> Thank you, Paul, for putting this in here. Here we go. Philippians 3, 12. He says, you know what? Not that I've already obtained this or I am already perfect. He says this, I'm not there. He's being honest here. I'm not there, but I press on to make it my own. Okay? So Philippians 3, 7 through 11 says, man, this is where I want to be. This is where... This is where I know the truth is found. This is where, I, I mean, I, I want to pursue, but he says, man, I'm not there yet. I have not obtained this or I'm not perfect in this yet, but I press on, he says, to make it my own. You know, uh, there is this idea that, there's, you know, there's a, man, God is at work in us, but we also have responsibilities and things he's called us to do. And that's what he says here, this idea of I press on, I strain on. I've never done it, and I probably have no desire to do it, but I know um, you athletes now, it's probably been going on for a while, but I see them sometimes running with parachutes on their back. You ever seen that? It's like the craziest thing in the world. I like to run, but not with a big parachute on my back. <laughs> Right, but when you watch a man, like they look like they're trying to go as fast as they can, but they can't because something's holding them back. And that's the picture. They are straining. They are pressing. They are using every effort, every muscle to move on. And that's what he says. I press on to make it my own. And I love this because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That Jesus... And I prayed this earlier as one point, man. He's gotten a hold of us, I, you know. And we'll look at Psalm sixty three a little bit later today in closing. Uh, There's a passage in Psalm sixty three, and he says, "My soul clings to you." Just this is idea, this is, you know. I think about a kid sometimes. It happened actually yesterday. Uh, my daughter just graduated high school, so we had a graduation party for here for her here. Uh, and there was a guy that I knew, and we were talking. Um, but I hadn't met his son yet, and, and I had this, uh, maybe it's, I'm not sure why it is, but kids tend to be scared of me, maybe because of my, my beard. All right, but the kid came up, and he was talking to his dad, and as soon as he saw me, like he ran behind his dad and clinged to his leg. I mean, holding on for dear life. <laughs> Nothing I did helped. It just made it worse. And the writer of Psalm 63 says, I cling to you. And he goes on, for your right hand upholds me because you are clinging to me. You have me in your hand. And that's the picture here. You've already gotten me, God. You've already got a hold of You've done something in me, and I'm pressing on to take hold of you. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. I'm not there yet, he says. But one thing I do, This is beautiful. Forgetting what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. That's, man, that's a beautiful part of the gospel that God calls us to do. He says, man, forget what lies behind. There are some things in my life that I look back, man, that I regret. I wish I could take back, and it's true for all of us. And Paul says, and okay, you wonder what Paul's were? He put Christians to death. <laughs> that was before he was a believer. He put Christians to death. He was an enemy of the gospel. And he says this, you know what? I forget what lies behind. That's in my past. And he says this, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I know where to go. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so in this, I mean, what is the goal? The goal was to know Jesus above all things, to pursue him above all things, to experience his power, to become more like him. And Paul says, I'm not there yet. I've got a long way to go. Yes, I've written half the New Testament. Yes, I saw Jesus face to face. Yes, I've spent 14 years studying scripture, but I'm not where, I'm not there yet. And I would just say, if he's not there yet, man, I've, <laughs> I've got a long, but regardless, what are we called to do? Move towards Jesus. Walk towards him. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't really matter where you start. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. And I know it, man, it just sounds simple, but we get away from this. That's what he's calling us to do, to move towards him, to walk towards him, to lay things down and move towards him. I want to close with Psalm 63, um, Again, I've kind of been seeing this throughout Scripture, and I could go to, man, more Scriptures and kind of share the exact same thing. But Psalm 63 has been one probably since the beginning of this year that's just been with me. Uh, and I want to read the entire Psalm or say the entire Psalm and then come back to this passage here. And I would encourage you, you know, yeah, definitely read you know, Philippians 3, Philippians 4, but spend some time in Psalm 63. So Psalm 63 says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Just a beautiful image. And that idea of earnestly seeking him, that could be I seek you early in the morning or I seek you above all things. But the idea is the same. I seek you above everything. My life itself is crying out for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as if I'm in the desert. He says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips, and I remember you upon my bed. And meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. And here's that line I said before. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life, they shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, they shall be a portion for the jackals. I've changed that. Where I live, we don't have jackals. We've got coyotes. Okay, so they shall be a portion for the coyotes. He says, the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. And in the midst of that, what does he say? I love this. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and your glory and he says i saw something i found treasure i found something that man nothing else can compare to so what was okay. so for me what does that mean because your steadfast love is better than what life my lips will Praise you. He says, because this right here is better than anything else this world, this life has to give me. I'm staying here. And my lips are praising you here. And I will bless you as long as I live. Man, do we see Jesus in that way? The writers of Scripture do, again, not that's why I th- I'm so thankful for Paul because Paul says, I'm not there yet but I'm working hard to get there. I'm straining hard to get there, and God is working in me to get there. But Jesus said it in Matthew. Paul says it in Philippians. David says it in Psalm. You see the same thing. I have found something that is better than anything this life, this world has to offer, and I'm gonna lay everything down I need to to know him more and to walk with him. And again, for all of us, it will be different, so I wanna just kind of close with this and say this. I was trying to figure out, okay, what's, if I could boil it down, what's the message? Well, here's the message. Jesus is better. Take those words with you this week. Maybe put them on the dash of your car. Put them on your refrigerator as you come across things and you see things and you're tempted by things or, or you feel things coming up from you. Jesus, Jesus is better. Whatever it is we could attain Whatever it is we could accomplish, whatever it is we could achieve, Jesus is always better. There's nothing greater. And I might just, I might, these aren't just words. This is, this, is, this is from Scripture. This is true. There's nothing in this world greater than knowing him, to know him and to know him more. May that be our truest desire. There are things in our lives, and I believe this, that God is calling us to let go of. That we may get something better. Okay, And again, it's different for all of us. And that's why I love scripture. He didn't tell everyone to let go of their riches. <laughs> he told the rich young ruler because that was the one thing he was holding on to that kept him from knowing Jesus. And Jesus says, get rid of this, you can find the real treasure. But for all of us, it's different. But there are things that we, man, we are called to lay aside, to leave, and to let go. And keep in mind that we are letting these things go to get the greater joy, the greater treasure. And I have found in my life, whenever I have let go of something to pursue Jesus, I have never regretted it. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor or that's a try i've never got Jesus as man i really wish i had that thing over that's it never happens because he's so much better and i just want to end with this because I, you know with this kind of thing I, I want to i don't want to discourage you but you know my my prayer for you and it's funny as i've even this morning thinking you know this is what paul prayed for the churches When you read some of these passages where he prays for the churches, Paul prays that they may know Jesus, that they may grow in their knowledge and understanding of Jesus. And so I would encourage you, man, okay, we should all be praying that. And sometimes my prayer is, God, you know what? I'm not feeling this. I don't think this right now. This is not where my, but I want to be there. God, work this in my life. I want to want to know you. Work in me, seek him, go after him. And and these are prayers I, man, I believe without a doubt he will answer. So I'd encourage you as an individual, as a follower of Jesus, but also too as a church, man, this, yeah, this is the ultimate goal, ultimate desire. Paul says, I have left all things to do this one thing, to know him. And that's what he's calling us to do. Let me pray. And we'll be done. God, we come before you. We thank you for your word. Your word is good. And, Lord, I just ask for forgiveness for myself, man, so many times. Man, I go after things. I chase after things, thinking that I will find what my heart truly desires, and it always ends in disappointment. Lord, you are the treasure, But the treasure is not what you can do for me. The treasure is not what I can get from you. The treasure is not all the things you can fix in my life. The treasure is simply knowing you. So I pray that you would work this out in our lives. I pray this week that whatever we face, we can realize and think to ourselves that Jesus is better. I pray that you would maybe show us things in our life that we need to let go of that we may gain more of you. Things that are getting in the way, Not, not just sin. Uh, Lord, but things, weights that entangle us, things that we need to just to let go of, we may gain you, get more of you. And I pray, Lord, just for, uh, for Pastor Bob, as he's spending some time away on vacation, God, I pray for him and Bev. Uh, man, may it be a time of rest for their souls, a great time with their family, a great time with you before you. And uh, pray he would just come back refreshed. And uh, Lord, today as we go out, uh, Lord, uh, your plan is to reach others through us, Lord. We are your followers and you have plans and things you want to do in and through us. As we go out to restaurants or to family, may we just remember, uh, man, that we are your hands and that we are your feet. And Lord, you want to reach people. Through us, God, you want us to be a part of man, pointing others to the treasure that everyone is trying to find. Lord, we know where it's at. It's you. And so work this out in our lives in your name. Amen.